Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Gentlemen, a very good morning to you both. Morning, Chris. Morning, morning Chris. What uh, a fantastic day for a podcast. Um, <laughs> friends at home, it's my great pleasure to welcome former Major Andy Shaw, Royal Marines, back to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Andy and I did a podcast about a year, year ago, and... Uh, Without mincing my words, we just talked about the true horror of war and the associated aftermath um, that individuals have to deal with. And it was, uh, as I say, it was incredibly, uh, an incredibly popular show. So welcome back, Andy. Thank you, Chris. Rick Coulson, who is my troop mate for the weekend, when we will be recreating the Royal Marine Commando's legendary nine-mile speed march up in Aknacarry, Scotland, to raise awareness of this um, alarming veterans' mental health uh, and suicide issue that we've got. Uh, Rick was a corporal in the Royal Marines, seen a, um, a lot of action, both physically and, I think, is met- metaphysically the word. And we're here today just to have a good, honest chat about, let's say, combat PTSD and also other factors in this, um, I don't know if collage is the right word, but, but, but things that people might not, not, not consider when they think of the military and they think of trauma. Um, there's obviously many, many factors involved, and I, I think a lot of them probably don't even get spoken about. And then, of course, we're going to be looking at... Um, answers and, and what works so i'm gonna shut up i'm gonna hand over to rick because rick we were chatting about your experience in afghanistan and it um you know for people that haven't been there it really sounds like the stuff of, of war films doesn't it it literally is when when you are war war fighting you, you you're doing a counterinsurgency um, which is, you know, you're concentrating on the hearts and minds of the populace and you are fighting an enemy which is, you know, not uniform because if it was in a conventional manner, you wouldn't be there for long. But as soon as them shots are fired, you are in full war fighting mode. And, and what does that mean to people? That means you have got every asset available at that given moment or contact or the assets are on station. So you have your own mortars. You've obviously got yourselves who are armed and it can be close quarter fighting and was close quarter fighting. And and a lot has been read up about um, Afghanistan and the intensity of it. Um, You've also got your fixed wing. So your aircraft and and, um, your fighter jets. And you've also got your rotary, rotary wing, which is, say, all your close air support. So you imagine putting all these weapon systems plus artillery, mortars. So as soon as the shots are fired, you are in that full war fighting mode. So, you know, people who play Call of Duty and they just see everybody firing and everything coming together, it literally is like that. 
and there's a certain adrenalines which go on when someone is trying to kill you. And they are. They they want to kill you, and you are a trophy, especially as a, a British or American um, soldier with regards to their beliefs. And, and the last thing you want to be doing is getting caught. But when someone's trying to kill you, then your training, your self-preservation, um, your camaraderie, professionalism all comes to fruition. But you imagine the experience of being up close with people might have gone paintballing and they've had a lucky escape as one's just gone past or one's ricocheted off of them. And, you know, it's hard to for people who haven't been to war to have a relatable experience to it. But for any adrenaline rush you've ever had, um, be it from people doing drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, extreme sports, nothing. I can only speak for myself. Nothing comes close to the experience of war and the adrenalines you experience. It's, it's, it's all I can, I can, I can say, and the intensity. So down to 10 metres, fighting someone at 10 metres. It, just from what, what you're saying alone, Rick, just conjures up like a million. I, I guess to somebody listening to this, it's, what you've just said is quite linear. It's like, oh, all right, this guy's gone to war. He's fighting the enemy. For, I think for many of us, though, I'm thinking of all the implications. Sebastian mm. Younger was it that he, he made that incredible documentary. I think it was called Restrepo, about an outpost in Afghanistan that, it's just out on Amazon now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Post, yeah. The, the Marines were manning it. He said they lived in such like squalid conditions. They were getting battered every day. But the moment those lads went home, all they wanted to do was go back to war again. Mm. And what we're here today to discuss, if, if, if we can come through these experiences like so damaged that we're in a veteran's suicide epidemic, and I'm not... Part of the reason I wanted to have this chat is it's not just the war. Obviously, many of us carried huge amounts of trauma into the forces from the from our childhoods. I think it seems to go hand in hand with uh, seeking to prove ourselves for that, for the maybe the lack of um, um, support we had uh, when we were young. But yes, just just that point that it, it isn't that. It's uh, struggling for my words here. It's but when you're so- in war, Chris, when you're in war, compared to on camp, and, and you know, the, you, you are a volunteer to be a, a soldier. You know, people have to remember that. You, you, you're not, cons- well, not in our country, are you conscripted. So the, you, you have that professionalism, but life on operations, everybody knows a place. Everybody can step up. You know, you have to step up. I had to step up. My troop sergeant was obviously blown up severely. Uh, and I, I became troop sergeant because I was a senior corporal. But you know your place out there. You know you, you know your job. And, and life is just a little bit easier. And it goes back to what you're saying about the guys for the, the outpost is, is wishing you were back out there. There's also that element of is you've spent a long time training for operations. And never just a um, pre-deployment training, which you do as well. So, so you, you're good at what you do. You are, you're at your top of your professional game and everybody is. And that you get into routines. So the transitioning when you're leaving or when you've had a substantial job is, is you have lack of routines. 
that can help throw. And then when you've got time to sit on all these things. So I go back to the analogy of how we deal with things like grieving processes. So like a funeral of a family member who dies, we're accustomed or grown into that. And we go on that journey, whether we went to one as a child. So you imagine being out on operations, one of your colleagues is killed. You're not naturally going through these grieving processes because you've still got to focus on the, the, the here and now because you've got to stay alive. You've got to have that mindset too. You know, it's got to be switched on. So there becomes a point where all these are constantly building up over many of years and you're not getting your normal release of what you're accustomed to for how to... It's, it's not putting it to bed. I, I can't think of the words, Chris, but you're not going through the natural grieving processes. You obviously have a ceremony, you know, a service, a, a little remembrance service, but life at that moment goes on. Yeah, you can't let your guard down, can you? No, you haven't forgotten because it's still obviously in, in inside you, but you, life at that moment has to go on. Now, you imagine getting all your leave or when you come back or when um, you, um, years later, it manifests. And all this can come, so it's like a glass of water. There's some experiences there. I pour some, another traumatic event in. Eventually, it's going to overflow. Now, what period of time that does, no one can put a significant, you know, a specific number on that. Um, mine came when I was just leaving. Yeah. Um, just as I was leaving, I'd, well, I'd put my notice to leave. We'll come and talk more about that because, of course, while you're in in the forces, it's not like you're on a spiritual journey. You're on a very hands-on, we're either fighting or we're training or we're deciding what £3,000 mountain bike to buy at the weekend. That's just the life that we, we you know, or, or whether to go on the beer. And, of course, I, I'm, I'm, from what I can see, people are coming through that process and they just haven't got the skills to then deal, not just with the trauma that they've been through in battle, but also the stuff that they've, they've brought, brought into the force. But you said in something there, Rick, um, I'm going to come back to it, but just to drop the thought, you said, oh, when my sergeant was blown up, it's like WTF. You just say it like that's, yeah. You yeah, know, it's, like quite you flippant. Just, it's quite flippant. Yeah. We've been and, down to the shops. I bought some eggs. I bought some. Yeah. Things. And I do oh, say it like that. And, and being, you know, I've been a guest on Andy's Mountain Way charity, which is is one-on-one with him, with the team behind him putting a programme together for you. And I'm, I'm sure Andy will discuss that. And Andy did the same to me uh, in France. I, I, we had a conversation and he said, stop right there. You've just mentioned about eight things. And, and, and I've had it before with, you know, other people, you know, double figure things you've just mentioned. And each one is a trauma. Yeah. What well, I want to do, do Rick, it becomes normal. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense, and war is not normal. <laughs> I want to come back to it, mate, because it's not normal, and I also think people need to hear about like what is that like as an experience to go through. But before we do, let's um, come to Andy, because Andy, uh, very honest about his experience in the Falklands. Can you do a sort of a a recap, Andy, if that's okay. Yeah, um, apologise for this background noise here, Chris. Last time we spoke, we had appalling heat. Now we've got a biblical storm just suddenly arrived. Uh, is that rain? 
It's appalling rain. Yes, I've just had to get up and shut all the windows. Uh, <laughs> I'm in a conservatory. This is the roof. This is my little center of my universe. Uh, but can you hear me okay? No problems? Yes, yes, right. I can. Okay. Well, very, very briefly then. Um, the Falklands War, probably, you know, for my generation, that has never be forgotten. But for younger people, of course, you might wonder what it was all about. Basically, Argentina invaded the Falkland Islands, which are a, a sovereign territory for the UK, uh, with UK citizens living there. Uh, long, long running dispute been going on for a long, long time. Um, and we had to go and recapture them. Uh, I was in a unit called 45 Commando, uh, but the whole of 3 Commando Brigade was down there with uh, two para battalions. Uh, and then 5 Infantry Brigade joined us as well. So it was a big UK reaction. And like Rick was saying, talking about Total War, the one thing you didn't have, Rick, was naval gunfire support. You're a bit too far away from the wet stuff for that. Uh, <laughs> but we had uh, 4.5 as well from, uh, in our case, HMS Glamorgan. Um, the war fighting wasn't anything like what Rick's been through, simply because it was so short. The whole thing lasted about a month. Uh, you know, not six months, and, and guys who did repeated tours, it's, it's beyond comprehension. In fact, from my perspective, I don't think we've seen anything like that since the end of the Second World War. So that puts Afghanistan and, and, and Iraq into perspective. Um, but what it was, of course, was no less intense. Uh, and the, the two main events that uh, my organization went through was, uh, I'm talking about my troop now, um, was uh, an ambush that went badly wrong. It was a fighting patrol that was meant to go and destroy some enemy positions. And instead, we had a thing called a blue on blue, uh, whereby a friendly force um, came in front of us and uh, we opened fire on them. Uh, that resulted in four fatalities and three very seriously injured. And about 12 hours later, we were into the main brigade battle. Um, four or five commanders objective was a mountain called Two Sisters. We lost four more guys in that battle. Uh, and that was it, basically. Uh, a few days later, the enemy surrendered and the war was over. So. Very, very brief by comparison, but the intensity nonetheless was exactly the same. And you don't need to go through these experiences more than once uh, to, to receive effects or anything like that. That was the beginning, the trigger, if you like, for me, uh, for my own personal journey, which led me to where I am today. And that's 39 years ago, just over. We just had the anniversary a, a week or so ago. So, uh, and it's always a difficult time of year for me. A lot of things happened that week, not just the Falklands. I had two daughters born in the same week as well, although obviously a couple of years apart. So there's a, there's a great deal of emotional, nostalgic baggage, if you like, which has to be contended with. Normally, if I could, I'd go and bury myself in the mountains for a couple of weeks and stay off social media and everything else, but it's not possible running the charity. So um, that's my big challenge. But anyway, that's what actually happened. Yeah, I just want to point out for our friends at home, Andy, that you, you were awarded the King's Badge. So that's the um, most outstanding recruit in troop training, then went on to get a core commission and you were awarded the silver sword. Is, is that, am I right? Uh, the proper term is the, the Royal Marine Officer's Sword of Honour. The Sword uh, of Honour. Yeah. Okay. So that is, uh, we're not here to talk about such things, but as an aside for friends at home, that is exceptional. Um, two exceptional achievements. There have only been five in the history of the Corps. Uh, that have been awarded both and then to go into combat as a young officer and have to go through such a uh an ordeal a life-changing experience and then i mean it's a war you've got to carry on you can't just say right i'm just off home for a bit i'm going to take a few weeks leave you know drink a few beers see see a therapist talk this no you're into the next battle you're you're a leader of men you don't have that luxury um, it's it just borders on un, un, un understandable. 
Yeah, it's an interesting point. That's, that's exactly how I felt when I realized what we'd done um, and, and went from one end of the spectrum, mental spectrum to the other. Um, there was a moment of elation, isn't the right word. I can't think of a, an adjective to describe the feeling. It, it obviously is an adrenaline-driven thing, as Rick was referring to, but it's much more than that, I think. It's partly relief when you when you realize you're not going to die, that the enemy's dying. And, and uh, there's, a, there's the mental change that's taken place over a period of time. Um, for us down there in the Falklands, it was quite quick. Uh, once we realized the war was actually going to happen, the fighting war, rather than the political one, well, then the adjustment began, but it didn't really happen until the first casualties start to occur and ships are sunk and aircraft are shot down and things like that. And then when it came down to actually fighting people more or less hand-to-hand, -hand, um, you've made that mental adjustment completely. So you're a very different person. You're two-dimensionally focused on the job. You don't really see outside the very narrow parameters. Um, and the emotions are out of control. And I remember feeling that elation. Um, it, it kind of implies we're all brutal killers. We're not. We're normal human beings, but we've transferred to something else, a, a different plane, because you can't survive a battle, let alone win, if you don't have that approach. Um, it's not the Tufty Club. So you've really got to get in there and give it everything you've got. But even that doesn't sound right. You know, it, it, I think if the training is good, which all of us, fortunately, in the Royal Marines is, then you, you're, you don't have any control over this. You make that mental shift. So I was in the, in, in the, in the zone, if you want to put it in modern terms. And then came the reality that the people in front of us who were moaning and dying weren't actually the enemy, they were our friends. So I went completely the other direction and, and I lost um, all sense of perspective. But I think the first overwhelming emotion alongside with the horror and the shock was the desire to leave and go home. And uh, if it hadn't been for my troop sergeant whispering in my ear, sir, the troop needs you now more than ever before, I'm not saying I would have actually done that, but and, and contrast that with the night some years later when I decided to take my own life where I was on my own and I had no real reason that was apparent to me. Of course, there was a reason. I had two daughters, um, a wife who wasn't my wife anymore, but legally still was and my own parents and children, uh, family, of course. Um, there were people who cared, but they weren't in the picture as far as I was concerned because there was nothing there to immediately keep me here. So there was a big difference in those two things. Those are the two worst nights of my life. Can you fellas just elucidate for us without you know, let, let's not all get ourselves upset or whatever, but, you know, what, what is it you say hand-to-hand -hand fighting? I mean, what, what, uh, it, it, I, I've been in a corps, so I know what you're talking about, but again, people at home probably have this glossy image of, of war, like it's Hollywood where you might see a bit of blood splash up, but that it's very, very, very limited. It, the, it's horror, blood and horror and gore. That's what happens to the human form, whether you've just watched one of your snipers take a block's head off at 300 metres, you know, <laughs> which it'll split the head in two, you know, from a suicide bomber when they said they would send... We, we did a raid, a, a helicopter assault onto um, the mountains opposite us. We couldn't yomp there. And it was a, um, as a term called dicking, which, which refers from Northern Ireland, which means they are spotting you and they will report on your movements. So before you've even left your uh, operating base, they know which direction you're going. So we did a helicopter assault onto a place, uh, an enemy stronghold. They obviously weren't happy about that. There was obviously the firefights as usual, which is just, yeah, that's that's just what it is. It's a firefight, <laughs> a two-way range. Sometimes it used to happen like that. Um, but then, you know, sending a suicide bomber in where they've 
in one of their religious schools, madrasas as they called them, um, which a lot of them used to be in Pakistan, um, and then they cross over into the border into Helmand province, which was in the southern part of Afghanistan. Um, the, the, these guys would obviously be targeting you, um, whether that be a vehicle born IED. So, so, so you imagine with these IEDs, it's not just your own guys, the local population are getting um, um, killed and, and maimed and injured as well. So Andy will be able to tell you about patrolling through a minefield or aware that you know the enemy's using mines so if you put that with the russian legacy ones like the film kajaki where they're obviously migrate and then you've got because they used to link up with um yeah i mean they were unbelievable at the ieds down to literally a drawing pin of a bit of metal to be to be able to complete the circuit so wooden pressure plates etc trip wires onto anti-personnel and anti-tank mines left over from the russians and you imagine the devastation all this causes to you. And then you've got the, 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 the fighting uh, dagger here. Um, my, my commando dagger fighting knife, um, which you, you have your usual bayonet. But we was doing jungle drills, Chris, through the, co- the high corn. So you imagine the visibility of that. So you fix bayonets. You obviously, you, you do your drills for how you would go through that environment. So, so you, you, you imagine when a firefight kicks off and it's in that close proximity. So I've had that dagger up to the throat of a dicker uh, who was lucky to live on that specific day. Um, you obviously check your enemy dead as, as, as how you would normally approach that. I know his infamous cases um, where, you know, you're either going to shoot him dead and you are going to shoot him dead. And I don't care what anybody says about how many rounds are going into them. They are, <laughs> you are going to exterminate that threat to life back to you. But also because they were known for suicide vests, how do you go about then checking them? Because there's a waiting period. You just imagine the blood and mess which is caused. And then kids from artillery bar- barrages, which have families have stayed in um, um, and not moved out of the area when the Taliban have come in or we've moved up because it's an area weapon, as devastation. So when you get mass casualties coming to your operating base, and I was a team medic, trained team medic, and you, yes, you're practicing your medical skills, but when it comes on to children, then there's a big difference and, and it hits you in different ways. And it goes back to that human health element, which you both just touched on. We are on, uh, which Andy just spoke about, we, we are on the human as well, but we're in that mindset of <laughs> doggy, <laughs> literally, kill or be killed and it, and it seems really cliche to mention that but it literally is you've got somebody wanting to kill you and when it was kinetic in Afghanistan before it it, it was still kinetic but the IID threat they was going over the bodies of their own dead to get to you so it's as if it was like Korea and the Chinese just coming in waves on a smaller scale obviously that's what it was like um, hand-to-hand fighting in the Falklands wasn't so there wasn't so much of that uh, it was more you know sort of within 300 meters because we were basically shooting at each other um, but we did get quite close in places uh, the, where we got really physical with people actually was in Northern Ireland um, not actually shooting people but riots and and back in the 80s and even if you go further back to a day in July I think in 72 when the IRA set off 19 bombs in Belfast in one day 
you know, that was extremely violent and physical as well. So, you, you know, you come across these experiences in all sorts of conflicts, really. And you've got to be prepared from everything, from, from right up, as Rick was saying, right up close to <laughs> indirect fire, basically calling in whatever you've got and, and assets controlling you. It's, it's a complete picture. And uh, that's why we're professionals. You know, we, we can do that. And we it, can direct it aircraft. It doesn't. And like, you know, historically, I know there's been certain allegations about prisoner handling, but there's a thing called maintaining the shock of capture. Now, what is that going to be? Well, I'm going to inflict a little bit of pain on that prisoner because under the Geneva Convention, if he tries to escape, I can legally shoot him dead. Now, I had a friend who was kicked out for slapping a Taliban prisoner. And, and this is quite a powerful story, actually, because we were short of troop sergeants. As I said, my troop sergeant was blown up. And he'd come out to help us. He'd come out from the training centre. He didn't have to, you know. They, 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 some people volunteered to help bolster the numbers where we were short. And whilst doing this prisoner handling, he's obviously giving him a little bit of a bit. And this is documented. And he was reported by someone else, not a fellow Marine, by someone else in attachment. And him... And the troop boss was put in paper, boiler suits, paper ones, and, 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 and obviously investigated, flown back and kicked out. Now, that team which they caught that night, the QRF had got them. One was shot, killed. One was caught. One got away. And it was in the exact same area six weeks after I just got back that that same IED team killed my cousin. So when you get a prisoner... I'm not saying we're going to stab him to death and all this because that's just bullshit. It doesn't happen, okay? Because if they're alive, we, we want as much information and they will go through your tactical handling facilities. But do you think they are the flavour of the month? When If it was the other way around, as people will have seen, I would literally, whether it be a Bowie knife or a pen knife, be having my head cut off and it'd be filmed and put on Al Jazeera. And that's the reality of the people who were fighting wasn't conventional, yes, but yes. it is convention towards our rules of engagement. And we are professional. We are professional. Of course we are. But an enemy is trying to kill you. So if they're going to be getting rough handled, that that is just normal. It's it's nothing. That's you, they are your now your prisoner. Yeah, I I don't know if Andy was alluding to the year I was in Northern Ireland. We were we were there eighty nine. In in one day we had a hundred and I think it was hundred and seventy six serious incidents. That's either a bombing, a shooting, a kidnapping, a mortaring, uh, uh, vehicle hijacking, vehicles getting set on fire, IRA taking families hostage so they can use the the, the window as a as a sniping point. We had. One of our guys shot dead in the, I, I, for argument's sake, like the second week when we were over there. Jock, who was behind me on patrol, got shot three times, and I was the first aider. So you can imagine the the when you turn around and your oppo is just spark out like that, um, and the ground's been flicking up at your feet. I think there was. I think it was eight rounds, maybe even 10, 10 rounds fired. So at me and Jock and, he, and the sniper or the gunman, I should say, hit, hit Jock. But he, here's the thing. Jock didn't die. So that was just a bit like what you say, right? It, it, it was like incredibly exciting. I don't want to say good fun because it sounds a bit flippant, 
But no, but it's it, a dark sense of humour, isn't there? Because say if he was shot in his breastplate or you had a ricochet or whatever, it's like there's a certain yeah, that's, element of fun. That's basically that's that basically form. what that's basically what happened, right? And as far as the other chap, the 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 the, the KIA, I I didn't know him, so it wasn't like it affected me like on on that much of a personal level. But what you guys are describing is I, I know I keep saying this, but I can't really get my head around what 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 what's it like to put one of your oppos into a body bag? I mean, well, normally that's the sergeant major. What does that? Uh, I know it was for Afghanistan the, the last tour. Um, we we had to put we had to put those guys that were killed in the the ambush in the blue on blue into sleeping bags. Uh, the dead into sleeping bags and the living into the back of a thing called a BV, which is a track vehicle, uh, which had taken hours to get to our location because there was no Kazivak in the way we understand it today. Um, I think you go into a kind of numb state. You're just dealing with the job and you're not really thinking about things. All those emotional reactions come later. And how much later depends on the individual and circumstances affecting his life. With some people, it's literally decades later. With other people, it's pretty instant. So there's no way you can legislate for this. Everybody's affected differently by it. Um, obviously, it's the one thing you don't really, you can't train for. Um, and we have trained pretty realistic, you know, using blood and guts from the slaughterhouse and things like that to dress up dummies. It, it looks pretty good. But it isn't until you actually pick up a, a body. And that term dead weight, that, that's where it comes from. You'd be surprised how heavy a body is, much more than when you pick a guy up in the bottom field to do a fireman's lift and sprint along the bottom field. With all his kit on, when you actually pick up a dead body, it's, it, it feels incredibly heavy. So, you know, it's an experience that's absolutely unique and, and it's a one-off and you can never replicate it. Um, so I, I think, you know, there's a distinct difference here between <clears throat> what you're going through in contact and everything else that happens as a result. And that's where we want to go, bearing in mind the time, mate. Um, if you want to talk about PTSD, this is we've got the start of this now. Now we need to get onto the real reactions and, and how it affects people because I think there's a lot to say here. Okay, I'm going to dive in with a question for you guys. In, in is uh, three things I, I want to. It, 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 I mean, Andy, for example, what you experienced in the Falkland just sounds utterly traumatic in itself. Literally, the stuff that that then PTSD is created. You know, creates PTSD. What I see a lot of when you see homeless on the street, da da da, and you get chatting, blah blah blah, and and they say to you, "Oh no, I never went to war," and then this is what I was saying uh, earlier. This is, I think, the childhood stuff that goes in the military, and you come out without the skills to deal with all this. You know, you got no spirituality, you got no mindfulness, you haven't learned any of those skills. Um, then we've got the uh, there's the the killing, which in itself, like, I don't know if, I mean, I'm guessing that's bloody pretty traumatic when years Not really. Back. Not really when okay. they're trying to kill you, especially Taliban for us, um, and, and not just their notoriety. I had no, I've never lost any sleep for pulling that trigger on them and watching someone drop. Confirmed kills as well. Never, never lost any sleep, Chris. Seriously. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm everybody's I'm, different. I can't speak for anybody else, you know. Um, same um, here, same here. Um, enemy dead, we were bringing down fire alarm on two sisters for a week, and and it was <laughs> it was unbelievable how I hate to say this, but how stupid they seemed to be. It was worse than sheep, 
um, they just didn't seem to learn. It was it was it was it was just pure slaughter. Um, but I don't remember feeling any real emotional reactions after the very first round was dropped and thinking, wow. <laughs> then after it was just doing the job, the only time it affected me is when our own people were killed. That, that's when you start to get that emotional stuff and you've got to yeah. deal with that differently. Yeah, the enemy is the enemy and you're already in that me mental mindset. You've made that shift from peacetime civilian thinking to wartime thinking. Mm. It's completely different. Okay. Do you think what to do with this current suicide thing? What, what, I don't know what it what the statistic is, but let's say 300 a year. That's just the actual suicide. That's not the drinking themselves to death and the battering the wives and the, the kids, you know, and all, all, all the domestic violence, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, and, it, and obviously in the States, it's a far higher figure because they're a bigger country. But do you think a proportion of this is people looking back, having taken life and thinking, what the fuck was all that about? It, it, is, is that going to be a... Well, I, I've been de dealing with people with what I'm calling complex military PTSD. And I'll just explain that briefly. Um, that's not an official term. It's my term simply to differentiate between somebody that's been in a car accident or, or some other traumatic event uh, and not to belittle those events. Neither the PTSD is a very serious thing, no matter who you are and what happens. Um, veterans just only happen to be one niche area of that entire population that is suffering from that kind of problem. But the problems we have to deal with are much more complex, I suggest, because of the morality element of just touching on this business about killing. Um, as well as the repetitious nature and everything else and the culture we come from. So it makes it far more complex. Now, in my experience, and I've been doing this actively since 2012, I would say, and this is a swag, um, scientific wild ass guess, 75% of the people I've spoken to or actually helped and taken through the program have got issues that stem from childhood, in addition to everything they've been through in the, in the armed forces. So I, I do think there's a, a propensity towards having problems um, if you haven't had the stable background. In my case, I had a wonderful upbringing, I had great parents. Um, there were things that were tough in those days compared to today's, particularly the schools, the way they treated us. But, but I look upon those now as, as conditioning, which enabled me to actually survive the horrors of war. Um, and, and that's possibly what this modern generation is lacking. Sadly, it's not a reflection on individuals or even society. It's just the way things are. But I think now I've turned the negative um, bullying um, paedophile abuse and of course corporal punishment which was rife uh, I, i've turned that into a big positive because that enabled me to deal with the issues that subsequently came along but anyway yes just to answer your question chris i say a lot of people have got problems that stem from childhood but andy you know as you you say there um and, and, and you refer to um say paramedics etc there's a detachment with work where they're working on someone they don't know whereas with us as veterans we live, we work, we fight together. They are our friends. So, yes. <coughs> excuse me. So, is an emotional attachment. Oh yes, there is to these traumatic incidents. <coughs> excuse me, from whether that be someone who's been injured or killed. You know, I've 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 carried injured guys shot on battlefields, and there's actually from that experience, I've taken the f the the funny part of that from that. <coughs> which was his section corporal um, telling him which, um, sorry, the medic telling the section corporal which, which way around the morphine should be administrated and, it, and he's administrated it the wrong one and it's literally the auto-injector's gone through his fob. <coughs> so never mind one guy um, shot through knee, we've now got another casualty with someone someone off their head on 10 milligrams of morphine, but that's 
what I took from it, even though I carried that guy under with my team 800 um, metres under fire. You know, so it's little things, isn't there, which I can look back on that to other people. They could say that's traumatic, whereas to myself, I look on the funny part of that with the, the morphine. Yeah, I remember an incident in Ireland in 81. <laughs> um, don't forget, mate, you've got a mute button there if you're going to cough your guts up. Um, a contact on the full road and I happened to be inside the base and uh, one of the guys came banging on the door and ran in and I looked out thinking where's the rest of his multiple and they were out there fighting whoever it was so I gave this guy a grade A1 bollocking as he slumped against the wall they looked closer and I saw blood coming out of his arm he'd just been shot <laughs> wasn't a lot of sympathy in those days <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah exactly I mean yeah, yeah, the horrors and all the rest of it, it's the only way you deal with it. And this is why we have the black humour thing, isn't it? You know, it, it yeah, works. The black Essential. Humor, yeah. yeah, very important. Well, like I think medical say, people have a similar view as well. The point, yeah. uh, I just want to go back to the point because I was also touching on something else and I don't want to upset anyone here, um, but it, is it a fact in people's mental health, these guys that are struggling, when they look at fuckers like Blair and Bush and Cheney, Rumsfeld that made billions off this conflict. Um, I'm not even going to talk about the precursors to it, but I think people know what I'm alluding to. It is is that a factor? Is there a massive frustration? I don't blame yeah. anyone or anything, Chris, for any feelings, emotions, or behaviors I've experienced as a result of certain things. Other things in life, as you mentioned, can compound the issues, so it becomes a vicious circle. So you've already trying to deal with the traumas. Then you've got life struggles. And then you, 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 but you, this blame culture or looking for reasoning, when you are the volunteer, no one's asked you to go and do that. Mm. This is you can read into so many things. And, you know, we can, you, you can look, oh, right, the Iraq war just for oil. Now, I didn't lose a family member in the Iraq war, even though I lost colleagues there, some very close colleagues there in, in enemy fire and um, um, friendly incidents. So, so I'm not looking to point the finger at anyone, and I don't look to point to the finger to anyone for my own experiences. I describe it as having a natural reaction to unnatural circumstances, and I've always said that. So, yeah, it's a very, very good point, Rick. Exactly right. I agree with that 100. percent The the political side of it never enters your mind when you're there because you're there. It's fait accompli. Yeah, I'm not, Andy. You misunderstand me. I'm not. No. Talk, I'm not talking about that. I, I'm, I'm talking about we're in a suicide epidemic. No, I know. I you know. know I'm, I'm, I'm trying to yeah, ascertain, what, ascertain. Like that's what I'm trying to come in, on to. Chris. In your experience, has that been a factor that guys look back and go, "What the fuck was all that about?" Yeah, yeah, no. definitely. I, I I agree with I that, don't. and I've got wide experience of that because because a lot of people do have that moral problem now, um, and helping them deal with that is an important part of overcoming the PTSD issues. But everybody's different, of course. So you know, you can't generalize. Um, mm -hmm. so some will find it. You know, I, I mean, I've helped guys who've thrown away their medals, thrown away their berries, do not go to reunions, have, have want nothing to do. Well, what essentially is their primary function in life for 22 years serving the crown and they've turned their back on it. And I think that's hideously wrong that a man has denied his own profession because of all these implications. Um, I helped one guy that was taking a case to the House of Lords to deal with um, Gulf War illness, which is associated to all this. He had PTSD and that as well. And they've denied its existence. I don't think that case uh, was won.
um, so he was taking on the government, you know, with the, with the aid of MPs. Well, it's um, with the, the any drugs that w- which have been administered to help you in your service, isn't it? Like you know, whether the Amphrax or the you know the the Mefloquine and Larium for uh, anti-malarial tablets. You know, I I wrote off for my medical documents and four years are missing, and it just so happens to be the period where I'm in where I was working in West Africa. Yeah, it's interesting. And I mean, you hear this thing very commonly. There's always a fire in Donington as well when you want medical records. But, mm. you know, I think that the point I'm trying to make is, that, and you you touched on this, Rick, you know, the, the difference between us and our forefathers is that uh, 1939, for example, or 14, they had no choice in the matter. Um, we were all volunteers. And, and I remember thinking that on the start line, waiting to go into attack on two sisters, that I didn't have to be here. I had a clear vision of the day I walked into the careers office in Plymouth, thinking to myself, I didn't need to do this. So I think that's an element you have to bear in mind. It's no good pointing the finger at other people. And sure, politics and what have you goes on all the time. It's always been a murky business and it's never going to change. And if you can't rationalize that, you're, you're going to be banging head against the wall for life. You've, you've got to come to some form of understanding that works for you in order to find the peace that you absolutely need, because we've had enough of no peace and we need to well, get to that the, level. The understanding, under the, the understanding, the misunderstanding is is. For me personally, the, the, the feelings, emotions and behaviours which were happening to me were so alien. I couldn't, and I still can't find reason with that. And I've stopped trying to find that as well. And yeah. obviously focusing on what we worked on, but going to that point where, right, there's a difference, like for your audience members, Chris, between sadness and loss and natural griefs in life, which we come to expect in our that journey, you know, such as your grandparents dying, your cat dying, you know, or your dog. And, and they are very personal to people, obviously, and they all are for everyone. But your brain just cannot comprehend what's happening to it when you've gone from whatever character you were. So for myself, it was that chirpy, quirky, cheeky guy to living like a home and we're talking i left 11 years ago living in my home for years literally at some points starving other points i had the money to be able to do that so these thought processes where you're going around why am i feeling like i'm feeling i don't know why am i sad i watch something i start crying you know i get all emotional um I cut myself off, like Andy said, but I cut myself off, say, from social media. It wasn't as big then. Um, I've never turned my back. I don't blame anyone, but I just couldn't understand what was going on in here. Mm. Then certain events keep playing over or certain feelings, such as survivor's guilt. Why why wanted me older? Why was it my cousin who was 22? Why was it this guy who was this age? Why didn't I do, read that guy's eulogy? And Andy will tell you as we walked around the lake in France in uh, Bangers de Luchon. And I'd never told that story up until that point to someone, and it really played heavily. Now, why did something like that, for me just not reading someone's eulogy of a mate who was killed, compared to certain other traumatic experiences? Because we're all individual, but the feelings inside are, are so dark. So we described demons. They are dark demons to the point where I went and hung myself. And now I have to live with that because my throat is clenched, you know. So I, I struggle with breathing problems, even though I've been out in France, you know, in, in the mountains and, and, and obviously we're going to do this speed match. But I've got to live with that 
from trying to hang myself. And, and the audience need to know it ain't a pretty experience. It was only because my then partner knew and they got the fire brigade and police and they broke down my garage door. And I woke up literally in A&E with adrenaline in the heart. But I didn't want to be on this planet anymore. And it was for a variety of reasons. It's very powerful. And I had a young daughter, you know, my daughter was born on the same day uh, as me, you know, birthday wise, you know, very blessed in that respect. A young girl who just is, is, is not akin to the world. So they have a zest and for life where they are learning and you want to pass that on. But it doesn't matter at that point when you're in darkest death, as Andy touched on. So whether you come here reasoning, there's no reason when you get to them depths. Let's just quickly talk about that darkness. I'll, I'll just give you my my low point, just just so people out there can can uh, hopefully get a better understanding of this, because I didn't, as, as I said earlier, I didn't have the massive war trauma. Um, I think we were saying earlier, you have traumatic experiences in the military simply because you're around such alpha males, some of whom just aren't very fucking nice. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you, it, apparently it's ch changed now, but back in our day, there was fucking bullies. There were people that would go out of their way to make your life a misery. And I, I, I don't think anyone really got through their military service back then without meeting one of these people. Um, oh no, the, the, there's as a certain apples in any walks of life, yeah. isn't there? There's, um, the, there's, you know, the top dog or who wants to be the top dog or who's got a reputation, you know. But um, but that's... Fun, fundamentally, Rick, my 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 issue was definitely like that. As a toddler, I went through things a toddler shouldn't have to go through, right? And in that making sense process, which is unfortunate, I'm still here today. I, 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 I could only crack the chronic depression by injecting class A drugs. That's what I live for. The rest of the time, I was on a sofa bed, curtain shut. I starved, literally starved, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't eat for anything up to nine days at a time, because I was spending all my, my time on the drugs. When the drugs ran out and I'd crash for like three days, literally just physically exhausted, like I'd run 10 marathons without eating. I wake up in such a state, I'd have like £1.50 to feed myself for a fortnight. I used to have to shoplift. I lived on pasta and porridge mixed together because you could buy kilo bags of it for like 20p or something, right? Um, I had track marks all up my arms. It was all... All myself sort of, you know, myself was was gone. Um, I used to shoplift the Bovril so I could buy the, the cheap white bread. It used to be like 12p a pack in the co-op. And I'd shoplift Bovril just to have something on it, right? And, yeah, so that was my dark point. I have to say, I never thought about killing myself. So I'm guessing I never went as low as... You know, my, my, and I guess maybe there's so many different combinations of factors there, aren't there? I haven't had your experiences. Yeah, um, I want to make it interject there because we don't want to lose this point. One of the things I have to say to everybody that help is that there is no point in making comparisons between your experiences and your consequential emotional feelings and, and anybody else's. Because when I tell people about my experience about the blue on blue, particularly, 
you know, they say, yeah, I've had some traumas as well, but nothing as bad as yours. And I say, stop right there. I said, no, we can't compare because that's unfair. If you've got a problem, it's only relative to you. And everybody's pain threshold is different. And it's no reflection on you as a character. It's got nothing to do with that. It's just your DNA makeup. And so some people handle some things amazingly. Other people can't. And it's, that's all there is to it. So you've got to take that objective or subjective element out of it, to be honest, Chris. So whatever it was, mate, your black time was as bad as anybody else's black time. Oh, that's, you know how bad it felt. And it's almost impossible to really explain in words truly what that felt like but you must have been absolutely desperate and it's that desperation that leads you to make those decisions in the end i'm afraid yes but the the, the seems to be you know andy we've talked about it haven't we where i've said to you i'm just tired of life i am tired of life yeah, I I you it many times, right? i've got so so you go from one extreme to the other as in or spectrum as i'm going to discuss now is is i've got so much to give in life yeah, I'm just tired of life. It's either I'm going to be the best version of me, very cliche but true, and the potential there for the creative side, or I am going to be dead for, on my choice. And it's a very sad fact, very sad, very hard to fathom. Now, if I was speaking like this in the Victorian period, Jesus Christ, it would be one flew over the cuckoo's nest. But it becomes self-analysis as well, Chris. So, you, you know, there becomes a point, we're not talking a light bulb moment where you need help or someone believes in you, but you don't pick up the phone, you don't answer people, you don't want to get help or change. But yeah, if we think back to our military service or any military people or even your, your, your listeners who haven't been in the military, there's an inquisitive nature to life to achieve or to do or out of your comfort zone, that unknown, like going to school for the first time, how you felt, the trepidation. So we have to try and use that to get them feelings of the unknown again. We've already experienced them. So we need to do that to be able to get help. And that is self-analysis. And that's been going, do you know what? I need a step up here. I need a hand. I am suffering um and you know there's there is help out there but what people need to realize is is it isn't you might get the right help at that one moment but you have to stick with it i've been on this journey for 11 years i've never been on medication but i've gone on the coaching journey and with what andy does in the tailored package and and we spoke the other day me and andy as i said i am trying i am trying to implement and this is a year and a half, nearly two years on from being on the program with Andy. The, 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 the things which we went through on that program, um, the positive thinking, the guided reflection, the, the, the meditation, you know, and bringing in this West, East, East, West. So the Western lifestyle with the Eastern mentality. So what Andy calls like the Zen warrior. And, but it like anything, to be good at something or for it to work, You've got to practice, 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 practice it. But anything can throw it off as well. I'm only human, you mm -hmm. know, but we're trying to establish routines as well, you know, and that goes back to the start of our conversation. So, so with what Andy's doing, and, and, and it is correct, it is right, you know, the, the simple, the, the happy trigger, you know, for your audience, I'd like you to explain that one, Andy, you know, because I think it's just so simple, but so fantastic. Yeah, I'd like to get onto that stuff, but mindful yeah. Chris, Chris is trying to follow a, a logical process here. 
and and just sticking with the dark side before we get onto the light side if if we have time we may have to do another podcast yeah um when the blue on blue occurred there was such a shock it was incomprehensible the brain couldn't process the information i couldn't believe what my ears were telling me um and that sense of disbelief i've never come across anything before or since like it it was, it was absolutely ultimate it was so disorientating you know it was almost a case of like i'd fall over i could hardly stand up everything had capsized nothing made sense anymore that didn't last too long and that was overtaken by the horror of what we'd actually just done and all the rest of it and then you get swamped by shame and failure and guilt and all that stuff it all comes in a big rush um, but there was a reason to absolutely focus because we were in a highly dangerous position um, you know, and I could talk all night about that particular night and the events that took place. But the bottom line is I had a job to do and there were a lot of people relying on me to make decisions. So in a sense, and, and just touching on what you were saying earlier on, Rick, about um, as leaders, we have a lot to think about. Yes, but we also have something to bear in mind here. Is it, we have a lot to occupy our minds and that helps us deal with the issues because we can almost ignore them and just carry on with the job. It's the Marine at the back that's got nothing to do, that has nothing else to do, but other than focus on the realities. And I always felt it's the guys who haven't got the responsibilities who actually have the harder job. But um, uh, that was two, 1982. In 1989, so seven years later, and this is a, a salient point because we're talking about when PTSD manifests itself, when people start to recognize the symptoms, and generally, it's other people that recognize it before you recognize it yourself. Uh, that varies massively. But in my case, seven years later, I could no longer deny everything that was going on. And the event that triggered off the decision to end my life was my wife deciding to end our marriage. Uh, and she had lots of good reasons to do that. She couldn't find any way out of it. It was a desperate situation for her as well. And so in the space of one night, I'd, I'd lost everything. I lost my wife, my two children, my house, everything. And, and that was the catalyst that took me to the point of deciding there wasn't any point in being here anymore. Um, so there was nobody around me looking at me for decision making or anything like that. And it, it wasn't too difficult a decision. And that's the wrong word. It's not a decision at all. I think you're past decision making. I, I think you're just lost. I just remember being swamped in a sea of absolute abject misery, crying constantly, sitting in the car in a lonely place, thinking about how to die and all the rest of it. Uh, and something I've never talked about ever before is actually the process and, and you talked about very bravely rick hanging yourself i decided to drown myself and uh, did the classic reggie perrin thing um left the clothes on the beach a place called budley salton and just swam south but um thank god yeah didn't go too far there was a turnaround moment when the voices in my head were telling me the reasons to not do it rather than the reasons to do it prior to that the only uh, analogy or, or visual uh, aid I have to demonstrate this when I'm giving presentations is pictures of uh, somebody doing a spacewalk uh, and, and I've got them getting progressively smaller as they dis move further away from the spaceship and, and they look completely lonely this is a little white spot with a background of millions of stars and nothing else that's exactly how it felt there was nothing connecting me to the, to the life that I was still with and you get to the point where death is actually more appealing than life you, you you can't wait to get there almost that's uh, and even that doesn't sound right you know it, it's almost impossible to describe this because it sounds like i'm making rational decisions and i think people who finally go that far don't make rational decisions they're past that point they can't make any decisions if something else is in control basically it's almost an automatic thing so um so for me you know that's the lowest i've ever been and it's still a benchmark in my life as, as anything goes wrong i just think back to that and a couple of other moments if i want to if i don't want to go there um, that remind me that life isn't as bad as you thought it was. And it's just that relative comparison that helps you to keep going forward. Yeah, there's plenty of days which are dark and difficult, but nothing quite like that particular moment. <laughs> Fellas, let, can, can we ascertain here what, 
what was our epiph- epiphanical, if that's even a word, moment that, that we realised something has, had to change or that we had to take action to keep ourselves on this planet or, in my case, to, to stop this massive self-destruct mode that I was in? Well, there was just that little realization that what I was doing was the wrong thing. It was it was a, it was a shocking wake up call. I can't I can't describe it easily. I can remember seeing the lights of, of the coast, um, that part of the world. You know, you're surrounded by lights to the north, Exmouth, to the west, Dawlish, to the south, Torbay. I think there was a ship on the horizon. It was, it was nighttime. It's pitch dark, and I just just came to my senses and realized what the hell am I doing? And I was bloody cold. I mean, this was the day after my 35th birthday in March 1989. And I turned around and swam back and, and I had enough energy to do it. I had it gone much further, I would have run out of energy and that would have been it. So, and that's what I was intending to do. But, you know, um, it came, just came to me as a sort of, what am I doing? A kind of woke yeah. up moment, you know, so, perhaps so the cold this, water helped. This was actually your moment. Oh yeah, an absolute yeah. precise moment. It wasn't a dawning or a, a gradual realization. And in a similar sense, the decision to go this far or to, or to be this desperate that was also something that happened quite quickly it had been growing for years you know without me even knowing it in the back of my mind looking back now and thinking of some of the comments that i've heard from people i've since spoken to who knew me then two things some people say yes we did realize things weren't quite right but never knew how to say anything and other people are very surprised so wow i didn't realize you were suffering you know and no i was actually very good at hiding it and i think this is what the sad fact about suicide is that people actually do commit it hide it extremely well. It usually comes as a massive shock to those particularly close to them. Um, you know, and uh, that wasn't the case with me. It was, it was just a sudden realization. I've had enough of this. It's time to go. So yeah. uh, <laughs> that was the same for me, Andy, you know, um, when I was on, on leave for my, my first attempt, it was a massive shock for, you know, obviously I, I was still technically serving in the, um, before five commando. Yeah. And, and I was in my summer leave and, you know, um, and, and the phone calls I received or text messages from the guys once it went out on the grapevine were just, they were absolutely gobsmacked. They, they, they couldn't fathom or they hadn't seen that because it was just so out of the blue. What we tend to do is compensate for our, uh, the more desperate you are, the more outwardly you make the effort to look normal. So sometimes it's very much like people who laugh in a car accident. Uh, and, and those who don't understand this misread that and think it's either a very callous, callous kind of, you know, insensitive attitude. It's not. It's actually a reaction to shock. And it's, it's a way, it's a, it's a coping mechanism for, for dealing with what is actually going on inside, which, which none of us can understand. So uh, it, it's involuntary. Yeah. And I think on a slightly different scale, those of us that are aware of the increasing issues inside, um, you can sometimes see them yourself and yet it's very easy just to turn a blind eye to it and just ignore it and carry on and think oh, it'll sort itself out or not even think at all. But suddenly you get to that point where um, it, you can't ignore it anymore, which has gradually crept up on me. It took uh, 14 years, I think it was, before I finally accepted there was a problem. But um, that, that's what it generally is, Rick. And so people actually see the happy, smiley face, the guy who's a soul of the party and spinning dits and all that underneath it's a very it's a completely different story it's 180 degrees in the other direction mm-hmm. and, and you know what that's a tearing a part of your psyche you've got two personalities inside fighting you've got your core personality in fact in many cases three now i think about it because you've got your genuine character you were born with then you've got the effect of childhood which warps it in some direction if you've had a bad experience 
you know, abuse, abandonment, being orphaned or whatever. And people might belittle some of these things and say, yeah, well, it's not that bad, really. You can't say that. Um, everybody's got sensitivities and, and, and a lot of people don't even, are not even aware of what those triggers are, but they, they create a, a defense mechanism, a pattern of behavior, which becomes your character. Then you get the influences beyond that, which generally happens in school and hopefully these days nowhere near what it used to be, but obviously a big influence in its own right. Then you've got the military and that's a huge influence. So you've got these different personalities and where's the real personality? The core personality is, is buried under all this other subsequent experience. And that's one of the things I'm trying to help people do in the Mountain Way program we run is to help people identify where they want to be. Where, where is that real character? Where's the real Rick Coulson? You know, and Rick's still trying to discover it, mainly through his art, which I think is a fantastic way of doing it, because it's only by asking the pertinent questions, the ones either you've avoided or even in some cases never even realized, is to find those questions, to find the answers, to get back to where you need to be, to, to be yourself. Because when you're warped by experiences away from yourself, you've got that tearing apart. And this is what I think is the trigger that generates stress which is probably the biggest cause of all the issues we have with our health, whether it's cancer, diabetes, whatever. Um, all of these things are as a result of something. But that's what you're you. doing, isn't it? Andy? Well, trauma, yeah, trauma definitely changes you. Trauma <laughs> definitely changes you. Yeah, and I just, the fact is you have to, you have to learn to, to understand the new you as well, because you're no longer that person you used to. To discover that new you, you're going yes. back to like, say, what, I would want to do, say, for my daughter is expose her to us, many things to try and do to then, you know, with recommendations to then let her find her way in life. And I think that's the element of what, you know, you, you, well, you did, you did for me with the creativity side with, you know, um, uh, obviously we sculpting to start before it led on to the art, but it, it started that off to do that, that that journey to find who am I, going back to what you say, who is Rick, who is Andy, who is Chris, you know. Can I, I just want to make a point here, fellas, just because I, I personally, I think it's so valid and it's so misunderstood is, and it goes back a little bit to Andy saying, we don't compare our trauma to another. It goes back to Rick saying, well, I signed up for the war. That That's what I got, right? I, I just want to, in defence of children is my trauma come at an age. I, I didn't decide it. No. I didn't volunteer for it. Mm. I'm, I'm, I won't go into too much detail, but it was put on me at an age where I had, n I could make no sense of it whatsoever. Right. I'm going to say it. I probably compartmentalized it as that thing, right. That thing that happens. And at that age, you don't have the skills to deal with it you're not a rational thinking adult and you carry that through your life until it explodes and comes out and then you have to try and deal with something that's so deeply ingrained in your behavioral patterns um i.e underlying anxiety your whole your whole life it's in there it's programmed in your neural pathways from an age where you you couldn't unprogram it because you didn't understand it um as an adult, when you experience trauma, you are an adult experiencing it. You have the, the comprehension. It might be shocking. It might be something that's like left field that you just didn't expect. And, and it's horrific. Not saying that at all. But adults are, are adults. And I make this because when people see someone lying in the gutter, dying of drugs or alcohol, and they spit 
you know, metaphorically spit at them, which is what our society is very much like. And yet they'll see a veteran with their legs bone off and they fucking hero worship them, right? It's like, hang, hang on, that guy in the gutter was a child that had stuff done to him that n- no adult should ever do to a child. That guy there, vol- he volunteered to go and shoot, you know. Does that does that make any No, it does. You've rationalised it very well. And it, and it is correct. It's, it's how society is or what's been put on them to look down on something which they just think there's a bum, there's a drug user go you know fucking what do i care about them but everybody has a story and each one you know going back to what you said under is is you you can't compare trauma is trauma irrespective of the incident but it's traumatic to that person so then it invokes them feelings uh, to them but as a common denominator isn't that depression is depression irrespective of thing it just so happens that was free of veterans you know, and us three have had different experiences. I've been on the receiving end of a blue and blue, and thankfully I or my uh, troop didn't get obviously injured. Obviously Andy's, you know, um, obviously being in the blue and blue and circumstances at that minute in time, the other team unfortunately fucked up and, and didn't report the correct position. Yours has come from, from your childhood, you know, and I think we... we Andy's a bit older than you, Chris. You're a little bit older than me. It, but, you know, that generation of schooling is a big difference. But the influence of social media and bullying, bullying and tr- trolling. Um, I had a conversation with a good friend, um, Lisa, who works on the farm. And and, and um, we were discussing, obviously, certain things. And, and, and she just told me, yeah, there's the farm at the next farm. The daughter went into the woods and hung herself. Yeah, it's fucking I mean, awful. Can I what? just jump in there for a second? Sorry, oh. I want to correct something, Chris, um, that Rick's just mentioned. It's a misapprehension. I know this is off um, slightly out of kilter here, but it's important to say this. As a result of the podcast we did last year, a guy who was actually in the blue on blue on the receiving side got in touch with me and corrected what I, I, I misunderstood. Oh. Um, I just want to be, and you weren't aware of that, Rick, so this is the first time you're hearing Sorry, this. sorry mate, yes. No, 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 nothing to apologise for, mate. It's uh, it's important to say this, though, because I did say I'd correct this if it came up, which needs yeah. to be said anyway. The other organisation that we ambushed was not lost. Um, there were mistakes made, and I don't want to go any deeper into that publicly, but yeah. there were mistakes made. But that particular organisation didn't make any. Uh, it was just a tragic event that, unfortunately, was oh. probably set in concrete. So uh, exonerate any blame to anybody, but... Um, you know, it's uh, it's an important point for the guys who are actually there. They weren't lost. They weren't unprofessional. They were doing the job exactly right. That's all I want to say. Okay, let's move oh, on. No, I wasn't trying to say they're unprofessional. No, no, uh, not saying you're saying that, Rick. I'm just saying you. When I when I explained it to you, I had a very different view of what had happened as a result of Chris's podcast last year. Yeah. A man corrected me, and that's one of the great benefits that came out of that. So you can just go to show thirty odd years. Right. 40 yeah. years after the event, you still don't know what actually happened. It's a long this time. actually is, is, is a literal part of what we're dealing with here, is that the, the mysteries of events and traumas is lost in time. Uh, and everybody's perception is different. Uh, and and it's t- you tra- anybody who's been through a trauma will have completely different views about what actually happened because you're tunnel visioned. Uh, and you don't always get the right impression. So uh, clearly and I had big, the wrong one there. A, a big part of, if we want to call it recovery, I don't use that word. I just call it experience. But a big part of what people call recovery, you can't play the blame game anyway, can you? That, that's, that's, no, absolutely not. That no, not people sh- search, don't they, Chris? People can search for their, for answers, but there becomes a point where 
you know, answers are they answers to certain things are not the key to unlock at that moment in time. The the key to unlock is your post traumatic growth, your growth. Forward. If you if you think of people that let's say let's take parents for example have lost a child in a, a hideous event, murdered for example. And sometimes you hear of people saying they they forgive the murderer, and, and we all look at each other in amazement, and think, "How on earth, are, you know, what are they playing at?" What they're doing, of course, is they're finding a way forward. They're finding a way to put into perspective what's actually happened. They're not exonerating it. They're not pointing fingers of blame. Neither are they letting anybody off the hook. They're just simply finding a way of moving their own lives forward. Their lives have been changed, you know, completely and totally, and will never go back. But but. That's the point I'm making, and I think that's what you're saying about not. there's no point in blaming. Exactly right, because it doesn't solve anything. What it does, in fact, is it perpetuates the problem. If you want to get to a point of release, um, and I like the idea of experience as opposed to recovery, it's, it's going to make me think that is, um, you have got to find a way of putting these things into perspective. And they, they need to be on the tapestry of your life, but in the right time frame. So in other words, in my case, 40 years ago, not today. It's not in my life now. It's a long time ago. I'll never forget it, but it doesn't have the impact it used to have anymore. You can uh, use it quite, it, it, you could, you know, to like me, I'm quite a layman with stuff, you know, like things quite explain quite simply, you know, whether, all right, it can be articulated to me, but it's like for your audience to relate to Chris is, is we go through experiences in life and, and these, these traumas and, and we're trying to deal with them. And people are scared of going back to look at them. I know Andy will touch on this, but it's like you're driving a car. Every now and again, you will look in that rear view mirror or your side mirrors to look back. You are doing it on your terms, but you are looking back. But you're not concentrating in the mirrors at all times. You are looking forwards. And that is the growth. That Your growth is that moving forwards, looking through the windscreen, and then when you need to, okay, or certain things are triggered to take you back there, like Andy covered certain times a year with regards to his um, incident, um, is you can you you can look back in that. And Andy said, normally I'll go out into the mountains. So he's in charge of it. It's not now in charge of him. Yeah. And that's the turnaround for his growth. What... Um... I, I want. I just want to give an example here of, the, of how how differently I cope with stuff as an adult. Probably off the back of all my experiences, as opposed to how I couldn't cope with it back in that dark period that that I, you know, I I talked about, and that's when my best mate Lee drowned on our holiday. And we've been we took liquid acid at this party in Portugal, and. In a nutshell, fucking hell, we was off our heads to the point where it wasn't normal. Both of us smashed out unconscious, come around like half an hour later. And no, it's not normal to go unconscious from LSD for anyone that's listening, but but we did. I woke up, I was just on these rocks. I guessed I was on the lake shore by a beautiful lake. I could hear Lee moaning. I said, Lee, Lee, you're right, man. You're right. He said, no, no, I'm not. I'm not. I said, come on, let's get back to the tent. Anyway, cut long story short, I gradually come out of that shocked state, but Lee didn't. He went into some sort of psychosis and literally just went mental for the evening. So I'm trying to control him 
while I'm absolutely off my fucking head, I can't stress that enough, right? He's running up to people and punching them. I won't go into the depths of what went on because it, 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 with respect to my mate, but it, it was fucking horrible. And in that morning, French girl come over and she said, hello, do any of you have a, 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 a friend with a tattoo? And I just looked and I said, is, is he dead? She went, just get down to the back. I said, just tell me, is, is he dead? And, and five minutes before this girl had come up, all these ambulances had just come hammering down to this idyllic lake in Portugal, just out the blue, four ambulances, three police cars. And I turned to the lab we're with, I said, he's dead. Nah, fuck off, Chris, don't you? I said, no, what, why? That, that, they haven't come down for someone's sunburn, have they? Right, he's either dead or he's killed someone. And this French girl come over and, I, and she said, just get down to the lake. So off my nut, I had to walk along this lakeshore all the campers, the revelers, the festival girls were just stood there, just mouths open because they all knew what, what had happened, right? Walked up to the one of the ambulance guys and I said, is my mate dead? He said, yeah. I said, can I go and see him? He went, yeah. Walked over and they'd laid this sheet over Lee and I just pulled the sheet back. There's my best mate dead. And I give him a kiss. I said, Lee, you fucking idiot, man. Put that sheet down. We then had to go for the... We, we, we then had to go to the police station, give all the statements, all of that. Are you aware? Had he taken any... Just all that kind of stuff. Then got back to a hotel. Then we had to go and see him in the morgue. By the time we got to see him, they'd done the autopsy. So that was... I've never seen anything like that. It looked like Frankenstein's monster. All these stitches like that big all up, all across his body. Then the embassy is desperately, or the consulate is desperately trying to get hold of his family because we didn't have a phone number for them. That fucking phone rang in the hotel room. Oh, my God. The other lad aunt picked it up, and you're never going to forget that scream down the phone when we had to tell his family he's fucking gone, right? And then you have all the, I don't know if you call it the inquest, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, the point I'm getting to is, when I look down and I'll see my mate dead, I'll put that sheet down and I'll put it out of my mind. And I went on and I'll smash my life, right? People say, oh, you got all this trauma. You Fuck off. We was adults. We went to a party. We both knew the score. Lee died. That's it, right? I can clinically, pragmatically compartmentalise that, just as simple as I've just said. But the childhood stuff, it's fucking there for life. Something I have to deal with, you know, on a daily basis, moment by moment. Um, so what am but, I trying to say? Don't interrupt you, Chris. Does it, you've just said that is with you. So that's, it's not me saying, oh, I understand or comprehend because I don't, but your, your mentality is, is saying already before you've given yourself a chance to heal or move on or grow is, is, from your childhood, you're saying that's with you for life. Yeah, I, I, I so mind mindset wise, you're already defeating yourself. No, 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 I don't. Not no, 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 no. Let, let's not. Let's not. Am I wrong here? Sorry, have I listened to no, that? No, no, no. Let, let's not overanalyze it. What, what I mean is, is <laughs> it? It's from such a young age. What? Uh, don't. Let's not get biological. But I'm talking no. neural pathways here. 
fuck me, 52 now. So we're talking like 48 years later. Are you just saying you are you are now? I don't know what word to use, Chris. Um, is acceptance of it of that it's going to be there with you, not acceptance of whatever happened, as I'm saying. I think more over it. I'm just trying to paint the picture for people of of like not to fucking gloss over this childhood fucking trauma thing, which everybody seems <laughs> to, and and and. And because it that's don't get me wrong, I've, I've got I, I've got a perfect life. I live in paradise. Wouldn't change any of it. It's fucking all irrelevant. I, I've lived the best life, if I was honest, out of everybody I've ever met. Uh, I've smashed all my goals. I've got a family that, that it's just like fucking hell. I can't believe they're mine. Right. Um, and it's all come off the back. So it's it, it is all good. I just wanted to, I don't know if juxtapose is the right word, those two situations where as an adult, I can deal with something just like that. No, not, not going there. Sorry. No, no, no trauma, no baggage, no whatever it might be. But how powerful the stuff during your formative years it, it is. Um, yes. Sorry, didn't mean, didn't mean to talk as no, long. No, no, I'm just trying long, to understand that. You know, I'm just, just trying to understand because everybody's different. Chris, it's a very powerful statement to say this will be with me for life. Um, yeah. You know, Because obviously I battle my own struggles every day still. I, I, I was saying to Andy, it doesn't matter how successful I will ever be, whatever success I measure or however you measure success. To me, to me, it's being happy in what you do. Like you say, your paradise. But it, it's still going, trying trying to understand the struggles, sometimes maybe too, I look at it too in depth, or to try and not find reason, but to try and understand what's actually going on in here, in my brain. And then, so, so listening to you, it's actually really gone, right, wow, that's... Uh, powerful statement you've just said my ears pricked up even even more listening to your story when you said that and there, there will be things which your audience are listening to which will resonate with them and say i feel like that or i've been through that but you know how do we get to then we've discussed the depression side of it or like you just said the epiphany of what walk you up which was obviously once you put that you know blanket back down over your friend this is so why how do we grow yeah I, again i'll say this again and i don't know if i made it clear but i'm just trying to show like as an adult how how if you get your mind right you can fucking deal with anything right if you get your mind right you get your philosophies right you understand the universe you understand your place in it you understand the temporal nature of these atoms that people call chris um whereas compared to something when it, you know when, when you're a kid toddler how utterly confusing that is and then you take that into something as combustible as the armed forces and have it you know compounded in some way or or even i don't know even that period of your life where you don't have to think about that how how all that sort of affects and, and results in what it is that we're all talking about today um, well, the thing is, your, your childhood experiences are the foundation. You know, w w when we come out of the womb, we're a blank sheet of paper and somebody is writing on that for quite a long time, you know, probably up until your teenage years, 
there's a gradual process of you establishing more control and other influences having slightly less. But uh, in those first formative years, there's various um, views about how long the child should be actually in childhood. Um, in, in my life, it was considered seven. At the age of seven, you were okay. You could go off to boarding school and face the rigors of life. Um, when my lad got to seven, I looked at him and I wondered how on earth my parents did it. There's no way I could have done it. But they were doing it for the right reasons. It was a, considered to be the, the, the proper way to bring people up. And I can't argue with that. So, you know, but th th those first seven years, the foundations that they laid are so solid. That's enabled me to see all these things and deal with them and, and get to where I am. I had one guest um, who was born, his mother was Irish and, and to give birth in the 50s in Ireland illegitimately was a, an absolute no-no. So she moved to Scotland where her sister was and gave the baby to her sister. Her sister, unfortunately, was a very horrible woman and the baby was used as a sort of whipping boy. Um, and it wasn't until I think he was 14 that he found out that his mother was actually his aunt. And uh, the girls he thought were his sisters were in fact his cousins and they'd basically brought him up. And there were stories of him living in parks in Glasgow where he'd been kicked out by the mother and, and the sisters bringing him food and blankets and things like this. Um, this was his normal upbringing. Now that was his foundation. And part of the problem with the PTSD was helping him to understand why he was susceptible to certain things which other people didn't have problems with. And it's simply because the foundations were laid wrong, completely wrong. When I actually spelt out for him what I felt about his mother, irrespective of the circumstances that drove her to make those decisions that came as a total revelation to him and it was necessary to do that to help him put it into perspective because otherwise he was going to grow up with this massive inferiority complex and as a result of that he was just getting nowhere in life and achieving absolutely nothing uh, and, and this had characterized his life in the, in the armed forces as well you know he never got above the rank of private um, so you know the foundations are, are critical and and if you're unfortunate enough not to have a good upbringing that's the problem you've got to deal with it'll affect everything throughout your entire life so it, it's important to find a way of helping people get to that point to discover who they truly are and to understand that their behaviors or attitudes are not natural but they've been forced on them by those events andy can i say just for clarity here like i've completely accepted my life all of it i wouldn't change well, some of the knobhead things I've done over the years, I might, I might change. I never wanted to upset people, but you know, I'm, I, this isn't like a woe is me. No, nothing at all. I, I have the best life ever. I literally do, and I've been through some shit. Probably at an age when you you, you shouldn't have done. But, but didn't you say just now, Chris, you were still having problems dealing with your childhood? No, no, no. I don't have problems. I, I, what I'm saying, it's still with you. Those experiences, you can't like take them out, put them in a little box, lock it, throw it in the river, and, and yay! You're saying it's part of your soul, right? Yeah, it, 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 yeah. It's, it's memory. Like, you, you can't just wipe memory out, can yeah. you, without a frontal lobotomy or something? Yeah, so absolutely and, right, but the, the key to it is actually putting it into perspective. So it's into just... Perspective. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I help that guy by saying, let's look at it from your mum's point of view. Why did she make those decisions? And what? So, you know, you can, you can chase this argument right back to Adam and Eve. It's the history of the human race. Conflict is part of our existence. Friction. We wouldn't exist without it. And it's in everything we look at. And that's why Rick knows perfectly what I'm going to say next. The one word that we use more than anything else was balance. And it's about understanding balance and how it functions and how we function because of it and all the rest of it. So in other words, what we're saying here is if you're going to understand your background, your childhood, and the reasons why things badly happened to you, you need to go beyond that and look at the reasons that caused it. 
And then you need to forgive. And that's the other big thing is learning how to forgive, to forgive your mother for the mistakes she made because they weren't mistakes. She had to make decisions. And once you do that, the pressure's gone. And then it's no longer the big bogeyman sort of at the back of the brain sort of lurking there waiting to ambush you every time you have a, a bad day. You can achieve all this. And, you know, it's perfectly feasible, but you need a logical process. Yeah, and I think all, you need to be guided. We've all guided. done it. When I look at people yeah. that, that, you know, let's say hurt me, I, I, I just see myself in them. I yeah. see, I see yeah. a lost boy that probably didn't get the love from his father that he yeah. should have done. And, and I, I, I completely get it. I have no feelings but, of malice. What, what, but then it goes back, doesn't it, Chris, to those who are not on anyone's radar or just get to that point where they've just gone and taken the life is, is there's a point where, right, where's this intervention then? Where's this, where's this awareness to go, right, if you're experiencing this? But Andy touched on it as well. There's no rationale at that point. Well, the, the, the demon and the angel, on a, on they aren't a, even applicable. We've got to interject a positive here because I've had lots of people write to me, especially during this recent, if I say two years of nonsense, everyone knows what I'm on about. And they've written to me and said, Chris, you saved my life. I don't mean like me, but having the podcast, listen to what you're saying, putting a few strategies in. And, and I know that you guys are doing the same for your, you know, for your crew. And so hopefully we're, we're turning people around at some point on that journey, how you get the people that in that real darkness, uh, it's that thing that you literally would be good if you could be there, isn't it? And just change a few of their paradigms in that moment. Just just a little gem to get someone thinking, ah, I hadn't thought of that. Um, do we have any thoughts on, on I mean, I mean, everyone says keep an eye on your oppo and da -da, and, and this is so true, but it, it I'll give you a silly example. Someone challenged me to do this 22 push-ups a day or whatever it was back along. Was it for 22 suicides a day in America or something? So I, I did it on the first day. I did it on the second, did it on the third. Fourth day, something happened in my personal life. And it was just like, right, I'll put that on the back burner. Just I'll do double tomorrow or something, right? Next day after, I was having the repercussions of this thing from that. So back burner again. Come the third day, I thought, you know, I've got two and a half thousand people on my Facebook. Not, not one single person wrote to me. And, and, and I'm not saying that they all saw that I was doing these press-ups, right? But not one single person wrote to me and Chris, what happened with the press-ups? Not a single person. And, and do you know what? I fucking stopped doing them because I thought something about this is horseshit. When we're not, we're not keeping an eye on our own. It's all, it's We're getting very confused here with all sorts of things. Social media is not the way to solve these problems uh, in any sense. From my perspective, advertising what we do and trying to raise money, yes, it's useful from that point of view. Um, keeping a finger on the pulse with people like Rick, for example, who's posting stuff about his art, that's really great as well. Very, very useful. But in terms of actually finding a solution, no good whatsoever. And this is why I came to a conclusion that the standard methods... Uh, things like CBT and EMDR, what have you, whilst they do help an awful lot of people for complex military PTSD, I think they're pretty inadequate. You've got to come at this from an holistic point of view. And we've touched on the whole, well, we've more than touched, we've discussed quite a bit the childhood influences. Um, we've got a bit of a graphic insight from Rick about the realities of war on, on the battlefield. Put those two things together, you've already got 
very complex situation. Then you add to it the individual's personality. Some people find the moral issues very difficult to cope with. Other people have got practical reasons for finding difficulties. Then you've got real life, which we're all suffering. And COVID is just the latest example. You know, there are layers of problem. Now, if you're going to just stick a plaster on top of this with a bit of therapy session, don't be surprised if it doesn't do much for you because at the end of the day, you know yourself better than anybody else and you can only judge yourself and nobody can tell you whether you're better or not. And let's not ever use the word cure because that doesn't exist in this game. So the bottom line is you've got to get to the bottom of the problem. And if that means going back to childhood and starting to unravel those problems before you can deal with the issues that were generated in the military, you know, so be it. Uh, and this is why my program takes a minimum of two months. You've got to build a level of trust with whoever you're helping um, which is why I work on a one-to-one -one basis, never a group, which many people have suggested just wouldn't work. Um, you've got to get to that level of intimacy before you can expect anybody to start opening up their real heart to the problems that they sometimes don't even know that exist themselves. Then you can start dealing with them. And the dealing with them isn't complex. It's really what we're doing now. This conversation will probably help an awful lot of people mm -hmm. simply by listening to the things you've said. Because it'll, it's an echo and they go, right, I'm not alone in this. I'm not actually going mad. You know, somebody else understands. Once that understanding is there, well, then you're off. Then you can really, you can reach the stars because, and it's surprising what comes out. And, but you need the time for that, you see. So a 45-minute session in somebody's clinic is not enough, um, which is why Rick and I went to the mountains for 15 days. And by golly, we didn't stop talking, did we, Rick? I mean, we, we fitted quite a few other things in as well. Um, yeah, but, there's, but there's with what you did is you know and what you're doing and, and you are right Andy you know it needs to be tailored to the individual now for those who've gone through say the NHS and it's no disrespect it's just numbers they 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 cannot deal with their numbers whereas where Andy's coming from he's got a team behind the scenes like the clinical psychologist psychiatrist who tailors the program from the individual from the information which has been from the individual and from andy and then andy delivers this content but it's it's got the content as a framework and structure to it but it's also been tailored to, to you and then with andy's own personal experiences so you're now relatable you now have got rapport because there's mutual respect we're going he's been through the journey you know, of, of life and, and his experiences. And then, so when you are speaking with someone who relates to the feelings you are trying to portray to them as the sufferer, there is enlightenment, there is going right. And in the setting, which Andy says is, is it just allows you to open up fully. No judgment, Andy says, no expectation. And that's crucial because there's things which obviously certain things that you mentioned, which are personal to you. It could be from your childhood or from war. And you don't want that thrown back because you might have opened up before to someone and they've, you know, and you just think, right, I ain't ever opening up again then because they've, you know, thrown that back to me or they've used that as a mechanism, maybe from a toxic relationship, for example. So we've walked that no expectation and no judgment with Andy. It allows you properly, and that's why I mentioned the certain thing about, you know, the, the eulogy. And But that was traumatic for me, really. You know, I brought down on this walk with Andy, and he says, you know, it's about an hour and a half just gone. We've just walked the whole lake. <laughs> and we sat and we had a man hug. I mean, this is before me and Andy, you know, made it legendary. <laughs> 
is we had a proper man hug. And I can feel myself welling up now, Chris, yeah? And I'm only human, yeah? Maybe this man's man hug from the Marine. But it was, and it, it was a beautiful moment as we just sat there and watched the gliders taking off into the into the mountain. But this weight, this, this weight mm. shift from me. God, imagine carrying the heaviest, struggling constantly with this certain baggage and then it just floating off like a hot air balloon. And that's, yes. that's generally what I've experienced with people I've helped. That comes out, and you talked about epiphany moment earlier on. This is the genuine epiphany moment, which is going in the opposite direction, the positive direction. The negative one that leads to the contemplation or even attempt of suicide is, is the other side, but this is, this is the light side, and, and it is a beautiful thing. And again, we're back to balance. If you understand the, the function of these negative things in your life, it enables you to then appreciate the other side, which actually happens. Um, I took one guest into the mountains. We went out for a night camping. Um, he'd been a bit reticent about one issue in Afghanistan that was bugging him. So when we had a formal discussion about this in a very secluded little place, he broke down. But it turned out that that wasn't the real issue. As a result of that, when we went camping, just for one night with a classic sort of ginganguli by a stream with a fire and all that stuff under the stars, he suddenly stood up and started talking about it. And I was lying on my side with my back to the stream with a fire in front of me. I had my head on my arms like this. And I was thinking to myself, for God's sake, don't go on too long. And my back was freezing. The wind changed direction. The smoke blew in my eyes. I was now sweating here and freezing there. I was coughing and my arm went dead. And he was totally oblivious. He was just talking the issue through to the stars. I had to lie there and endure this for about an hour until it had run its course. Uh, and there were no tears. There was no reaction. He'd done all that previously. He said, that's it. It's done. Done and dusted. And he's now got a great life. His family's reunited. His children are fabulous and having a great life and all the rest of it. You know, he turned the corner very quickly. And that's all it takes, really. You're still going to go through life. It's understanding that you're still going to have life struggles, life's roller coaster of emotions. That normal is life. life. Normal life. That's normal. Yeah. But when you are going through this depression, it just feels as if everything's depressed, everything you your mindset well what you do is you just ignore it i, I mean i went into yeah. isolation it wasn't exactly isolation the terms that you were referring to rick where you were literally stuck indoors for years i actually jumped on an old wooden boat and sailed that's my factory default setting if you like the sea but you know essentially i was running away i had no phone i had no comms of any sort and and i lived on that old wooden thing for 18 years that's how i ended up out here um I wasn't alone either. I, this is an important point. Um, I'm the most wonderful person in the world, my wife, Shirley. And uh, she, she, you know, the, the term rock is a bit misused nowadays or overused, but she's more than that. You know, she, she is, she's the center of my universe and she's nothing special. She's very modest. She'd say the first thing herself, you know, oh, nothing special, but she is. <laughs> she's more than special, you know, and I think that's another big factor. A lot of guys suffering from this don't have that in their lives. They've lost the family they, what they want and cherished. Perhaps some of them are full of regret because they didn't cherish it enough when they had it. And that's normal. I was exactly the same. Um, but, you know, again, if you can get past that point of turning that corner, the next time you get a relationship, by golly, you're going to look at it in a very different way than you did beforehand. And it isn't about the size of her boobs or the color of her hair. It's something inside that really resonates. That's what really matters. Um, and when you've made that decision, I think you're now in the area of the advanced Zen warrior. You've now got wisdom. Is it that's like we point, I mean, you say, Andy, she's the center of your universe. She's the center of our universe, mate, isn't she? It's it, this is we, we've got lovely people on this planet. We've got veterans that are just freaking awesome. Oh, well, I'm talking to two, fair one, two, two today. <laughs> Sorry, I'm starting to lose it now, but 
it for people watching this that might be struggling you know we are here for you and there are lots like us you are not on your own you you've got to get out of you thinking in your bubble that maybe your life's all not going right and just just realize there are people out here and that we're here for you and we we can you know we can well, listen. I'm need more awareness of what he's doing you know and, and obviously you are a mechanism chris to to channel that and rightly so and hence why you've got him on for a second time not just because i don't think it would have mattered if it would have been you know as as, as successful as the first one was i think what there needs to be a change in how we approach mental health and our society approaches it. But I was, you know, the, the, this is about an individual getting the help they need and it needs to be tailored to them. And there's people like Andy who are using them for, from a life journey with clinical help. Now, that doesn't get any better to me doesn't sound any better i was very apprehensive about going on that you might think oh i'm going to go to france for two week jolly it's not a jolly yes it's in a beautiful location you know and there's only so many bacon and egg sounds i could get from Andy in the morning i could stomach it right sound perfect but you know he's there to do something and, and i was challenged and i challenged andy and and that's a good thing that's a good thing not challenged in the wrong way it's, it's just that you're trying to comprehend certain things. So it is alien, just like your feelings are when you when you are down. So by what it's doing and the awareness and, and rightly so the publicity to which it gets is, is that is saving one life. And now to some other people, that might not mean much because we don't know them. But I'd rather have a person who comes back through having gone through things in life because when you read about success stories, and it's not measured in a monetary term, you know, achievements with what they want to do and achieve, it's phenomenal. But then it cascades and it resonates with people. So it then helps someone again. And we need to, you know, it's like putting the news. I don't put the news on anymore because it's just all bad. You know, when you're in that positive mindset, and I know I'm on about struggles and I, I, I still struggle with certain stuff. But when we're in the positive mindset of stuff, you look at stuff in a good way. So it should be, right, that glass is not half empty. It's that, it's got to be that black and white sometimes. It's half full. And when you use certain mediums, like you said, with social media, to a good avail, you know, and that's how they should be used, whether it be raising awareness of things, but in a, on a personal level, as well as keeping in touch with, and but it's just, got lost in translation somehow from what it you know an extended form of of, of friends reunited <laughs> you know? yeah I, 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 my little chip in there is i've just I, I deactivated the facebook i i don't think it's healthy right this is just if you've got your 30 crew on there and that's it that's mm. fine but when i mean when you're in a public eye you just get friend requests from fucking everywhere I wouldn't mind if people sent a little message to say how they know you or why they want, but but that all that's gone out the way, all that etiquette and, and humanness just it's just someone hitting a button there, right? I, I keep obviously got my professional page, and I will say, Rick, I've had I've put my personal page back on because of our fundraising, right? But I, 
I found it a massive relief to deactivate. It's like it's just one of those moments in life you just realize you've done the right thing. It was it it it, it was just the right thing. But just moving on, I want to finish on the positive. I want to promote Andy's services, so the mountain way. Obviously, for friends listening, there'll be a link below. Andy's a very personable guy, as you know. So if you mail him, you are going to get a reply. I know that because I've I've been asked for Andy's contact details several times now. Um, Rick, I want to talk about your wonderful artwork before we finish. Before we come on to those two areas, uh, I'm just going to say one thing here. My epiphany was when I realised I was punishing the person that had already been punished enough. It's kind of that simple. In fact, if you want to get really as it was, it's like when I was that little boy, I didn't deserve that shit, you know, adults doing that to, you know, it was a fucking horrible time in the seventies for many of us folks. If you're listening, it, 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 it just, it just was. But here's the thing as an adult now shoving needles in my arms, 12 times a day or whatever, um, who was punishing that little, I, I was doing it to myself now, wasn't I? And that was when I woke up and went, Chris, stop doing it to yourself. And then I, I had that relief, Rick, that you described that weight, lifting off my shoulders and as i said my life's never been the same it was my life from that moment was on the up so what rick's just going to get a glass of water um what can we say andy to people that might be struggling or people that might be supporting someone that's struggling okay mate um sorry to put you under this pressure i have to leave in 11 minutes um, so I'll, I'll, I'll say the things that I think are important at this yeah, stage. Yeah, if you yeah. want to have a subsequent podcast to talk in more detail, I'm very happy yeah, to do that. I just wanted to finish on a positive because it's been yeah. quite quite yeah. heavy. Uh, absolutely right. Yes. Um, I'm looking at a board now behind the computer with 40 odd names on it. Um, two of those names came through your podcast last year and, and they're now actively in the program. The time it takes varies from every single person. One guest took three years to actually make the decision to come on the program. Now, what's the point I'm making? The point I'm making is you probably know you've got a problem, but either you're not really sure how to deal with it, you've tried other things that didn't work, or you're too worried about going there. Or if that's not the case, just ask yourself if those around you think there's a problem, but you're not prepared to accept it. And those would be the closest, your partners, your wife, children, parents, what have you. Uh, if you're totally on your own, unless you are a genuine hermit, then I would say there is a problem. And you need to do some internal thinking about whether or not you're going to spend the rest of your waking days this way or whether you want to finally make an effort to get out of it. Now, it does take an effort, no doubt about it. And Rick can talk about this afterwards. It took Rick some effort because there were lots of things in his life that weren't right at the time, which he was trying to cope with at the same time. So it was an awful lot of stuff and it all builds up and it becomes to the point where it's almost unworkable. So I understand the pressure it takes. It's really difficult. And that's why there's no judgment and there's no expectation. And some of those names will stay on that board indefinitely. I'm quite sure of it. Some of them will never actually come on the program, but we are here if they want it. So the first point I want to make is the choice is yours. If you want help, it is there. But if you're not prepared to go for it, you're never going to get it. The second thing is, provided you're a bona fide veteran and that you have been diagnosed by a competent authority with PTSD, then you're eligible to come onto our program. But the only question we have is that will you step up to the plate? 
will you actually engage in the program and will you take on board the things I'm going to show you and will you, as Rick said earlier on, practice, practice, practice. There's no magic cure to this. There's no instant solutions. It does take time. It took me over 30 years. I can guarantee if you follow what I say, it'll take you a fraction of that. But you have to put the effort in. And it basically means you've just got to go wholeheartedly go for it. Uh, there's no medication of any sort involved. Uh, you probably are on medication. And that's normal. And that's a very important element. If you're going to come off medication, then it has to be under the supervision of your GP. Can't be done by yourself and certainly not by me. Um, but that's probably a goal you want to achieve. I had one guest who was on 27 pills a day. He's now down to 10 and he's feeling a lot happier about himself. So you can achieve all these things, but it's got to be done in a proper structured fashion. There is a program here. Once you've gone through the what we call the experience, I don't use the word course because to us in the military, that's lots of connotations. So it's just an experience. But once you've gone through that, you're into the post-traumatic growth phase where Rick is now. And we will continue to support you to, to, in whatever direction you're going in. We're not the experts in everything, but we have people that can help if you've got issues to do with finances, housing, professions, relationships, and so on. So th there's a solution to all your problems. But the key to it is that you have got to want to make the changes. And if you can't do that, there's nothing anybody can do for you, least of all us. So that's the critical point. As for when you come and do it, it's up to you. Just pick up the phone or get on the email, which Chris will put at the bottom here and just get in touch. I am a one-man band, so I can't deal with hundreds of people. It's a slow process, but by God, it's a lot quicker than the one I went through. And it will, once you get onto the program, or once you actually get into contact with us, it will stop you going down that really dark pit where there's no return, all right? So it, life won't get better for a while, but once you get into the program and you go through it, it will get better very quickly. The choice is entirely yours. And you're always gonna signpost people, Andy, if you can't help them, aren't you? You're gonna well, usually, uh, what, what's happened, Chris, is that we're at the end of the queue. And, and again, that's totally understandable, partly because we're not so widely known, which I like. I don't want hundreds of people flooding. You know, we, we can't handle the numbers. We don't have other mentors. We're trying to find people to replicate, but we're not at that point yet. Um, that's one issue. Um, the other one is quite simply that uh, they've tried everything. And this is why it takes a while to get people to commit, because they've lost their faith in everything. They don't believe that there's any solution out there. And it takes a while to turn people around and say, look, you can change things. Um, so uh, signposting back to the NHS, they've already done that to combat stress. They've been there, you know, whatever it is that you think that they would go to, it, it doesn't work. But what I can say is that everybody that's come to me has moved on. They've got their life back into traction again. They're achieving some of their goals. Again, there's no judgment here. So what constitutes happiness or um, let's say some kind of peaceful equilibrium might not appear to me, but it's what appears to them. So as long as people are achieving what they want in life, it doesn't matter whether they're overweight or underweight. That's their choice. Uh, whether their diet's good or bad, whether they continue with alcohol or they knock it on head totally, it's their choice entirely. But the thing is, they're back in control. That's the key to it, you see. The PTSD is not controlling them. They're controlling it. And just the final point I want to make is you can eradicate the bulk of it, not just bits and nibbling away at the edges. You can get rid of, I would say, the most toxic elements. But there was always going to be certain conditions, certain things that you're going to need to be aware of. Uh, and likewise, there might be triggers as well, something that somebody says or something you see or whatever that will trigger off a reaction. If you follow the program, you'll be able to deal with those reactions. You'll be able to take control of them and get back in the chair and life carries on. Yeah, but, and, uh, and I've still got the booklet, you know, I've still, still got the booklet. <laughs> no, I just should also chip in and say, folks, if you're watching this now, I've got a commando coach playlist on my YouTube channel. I've never had therapy. I've never had any kind of professional help. I've never been to a support. Well, I went to AA once and thought, 
fuck that, right? Not 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 dissonate. That's another story again. Uh, my philosophies, I've had to come up with them, and they work obviously because I'm I'm here and I smile every day. So if you are struggling, just check out my Commander Coach playlist. There'll be a few little gems in there that you won't probably have ever heard before, and you'll go, ah, right. But one of the biggest hitters in that playlist is I call it, I think it's called Breaking the Chains of Addiction. And I get written to by people that say, Chris, I've been in drug counseling 12 years. Why have they never, ever said any of this? You've made more sense in a, in a, in a half hour video than they have in 12 years. And it's, it's just because I, 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 I know a bit about this life, let's say. So if, if you are struggling, there's always go, go to that first. Going to come back to Rick here and talk about your wonderful poppies. Rick is an artist. He creates these beautiful things. Uh, have you got one you can show us, Rick? I have, yeah. And I just say this idea. Just Andy, are you out of here? This yeah, sorry, idea. To, sorry to cut in. I'm sorry to cut in there. I've got to say cheerio at this point. Uh, yeah. Chris, we'll have a chat later on if you want to explore any other things, mate. But thank yeah. you for this opportunity. Much appreciated. And good luck to you, Rick. We'll be yeah, in touch. Cheers, Andy. Cheers, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Andy. Um, this this idea came from Andy, Chris, um, with uh, whilst I was on the Mountain Way programme and exploring the creativity side. Right? My mum was a very talented artist. And I did bits of drawing, but I, I never drew. And Andy suggested sculpting clay. And this was to bury one of, you know, one of the demons, like a, a final ceremony of, of um, some of the traumas I'd experienced. And... Um, the um um we we so i came up with the idea of a poppy and i'd actually on my last tour of afghanistan brought some of the very earth back so i thought right i'll sculpt a poppy and i'll sprinkle it with the earth and that with some other things will get buried on top of the mountain at nine thousand feet like you know and um i've now refined the product and, and what i do and is I sculpt the, the, the poppy by hand and then with a regimental button and sprinkle it with the earth from now, it stemmed from Afghanistan, differing conflict uh, earths and sands. So you can see some of the jars behind me. What's Chris, it made out of, mate? What's the actual... It's, it's made out of air-dried clay. Um, I then I, I sculpt it, dry it, and then... Um, paint it with multiple layers and then um, it's actually got a brass 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 button in the center and i do it with a, a a presentation box and it's called the conflict poppy collection wow. uh, for your audience and uh, it's an ethical box you know sourced eco-friendly company and um, I now have over 30 odd different conflict earths and sands from across the globe, and it, I'm still acquiring more. And what this allows me to do with the creativity and some of the art, I've got some art here, but um, is um, I donate to charity of the buyer's purchaser's choice. So whilst being free within my creativity side, doing the sculpting and the artwork, it also allows people that, nostalgia of um having a keepsake from their time or a family member's mm. time and I, i've done poppies for people you know family members who've lost loved ones in war i've got a lot of them on my business pages on my personal page 
and then the small donation to charity of the buyer's choice is, is just don't get any better than that for me, Chris. Yeah. And then we read up on the units, read up on the battles. Um, trying to get into America. Uh, I've, I've got some contacts. I'm just about to get some sand from Iwo Jima, from a US Marine. Um, you know, so every earth and sand I've got is all got provenance for those who are send, sending it into me. So, and so know. just to clarify, you you don't make money on this. This is all. This it basically is proceeds of profits go to charity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just just clarify. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a charity. I'm not a not for profit organization. I am a a company, but by because Chris, I've received help, so I want to give help back now. Yes, I've been involved with a a, a couple of charities, and and over the years, I have raised tens of thousands of pounds for charity. Um, but it's just that good full circle of being able to not just give back or pay it on, but maybe helping someone who I've never met and could save, save their life. And, and charities do need, I know it's thrusting a lot of people's faces nowadays, but um, charities do need need help. So um, if you, you imagine being in a world where you purchase a product and then some of that money goes to help someone else and it hasn't cost you any more. Well, that makes it a, a wonderful place, a wonderful world to be. Yes, exactly. It's funny, uh, isn't it, how we have this need to give back when we've been through trauma. We we, yeah. we come out of trauma seeing the world differently, don't we? I've, we we do because and and when you've had near death experiences or you've been humbled by um, traumas from other people or your own is is. Um, you, you you want to the 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 becomes a reasoning inside, isn't there? To mm. to say, right, um, I don't want anyone else to suffer like this. Um, can we help? And how can we do it? We can do it in different mediums where your self awareness and your charity challenges. I did a charity challenge seven years ago, trying to walk the length of Britain backwards. You know, um, for a cancer charity and a small marine charity. And it was on the back end of my mum just obviously passing from being terminally ill. And I believed in this small and still do believe in this small marine charity and what they stand for because 100% goes to them. And, and yeah, so it was a 350th anniversary at Cor. So I did 1664, 1664 kilometres on the treadmill. And then obviously went up to John O'Groats and got down to Perth and injury and lack of support stifled that that um world record attempt but um you know bloody hell mate you don't want to come down that a9 backwards i've done it i've done it i've done it i've done it the whole a9 more or less i'm surprised you're not stuck to the front of a juggernaut now well the um the police kept stopping me to be honest chris um but i tell you what you had some of the jokes shouting out in the vans you need your head checking (laughs) and i'm like you're telling me, mate, but you know what? It got awareness because it was yeah. so different. And in it, it, the, the media, the people donate. And there were farmers stopping the tractors, getting the little one to jump out. You know, if they had the child working with them, giving me 40 quid, for example. So I'd do a live and say, I've just had 40 quid donated, you know. We're amazing, Chris. Um, yeah. People support. People are, you know, there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful people. I'm, I was park, I was camping in a, oh, uh, you come. Wick, isn't it? Wick is the first. Wick is Wick is the first. It's about 30, 
30 miles, yeah. It's the last stop before you go up to John O'Groats, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'd run from John O'Groats that afternoon to Wick that evening, yeah. and I was just got my tent up in this park. Suddenly the bloody blue lights came. These two coppers come charging across the grass with flashlights, and I'm thinking, oh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be arrested before I've even bloody begun. And they went, it's you. You're that guy. I'm like, what guy? We seen you running from John O'Groat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it is barren up there, and the police will stop you just in case you do get obviously. Yeah, but well, I didn't um, realize it's all free land up. It's called it, it, it's common common land up there. No one you you can camp where you like. Even, yeah. You can even camp on someone's like garden or their farm or something. Well, I run supported as well. You know, like yourself, um, you know, it won't like these celebrity challenges you get where they're in ice baths, hotels, hot meals. I were on rations. <laughs> yeah. With a sleeping bag. And you imagine how you can't, I was seizing up in my bivy bag and that, literally seizing up. Um, at one point, my uncle in the car, he slept in the car. I slept outside, you know, as you do. Mm. And then, um, so, so, you know, you, you, you're obviously trying to get the carbs and everything down you, but rations wise, <laughs> which weren't a bad thing, you know, for logistics wise, but yeah. just that thing to give back. Um, I mean, this was seven years ago. They want, I want, I, I want, technically I want giving back at that point. I was giving, you know, cause I hadn't received help or charities then. Uh, just my thing to 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 help charities, and um, God, it, it's something which I will do for the rest of my life. You know, I don't have to give profits from here, um, but I do. And we're creating, you know, we're we're keeping history, Chris. And and you know, if you think back to um, how many conversations we would just love to have with First World War veterans and Second World War veterans now. You imagine the story from them because he is. I mean, I, I, there's a massive following with military history anyway. So to document it in different ways now, like with the Earths and Sands and the regiments, and then doing it for people, or then giving me stories, I just put little bits into their information as well as the factual information. So it becomes educational and informative. Regards to the losses as well, for example. So I'm researching them, not just the losses and the official government stats. It's not just a number. I'm then breaking it down into regiments and then subcategories from there because it is personal. There's a personal story or there's a tragedy behind that loss. Mm. You know, and I'm trying to work on a since World War II project now where we've had 30 medal qualifying criteria since then. And it's like Malaya's the biggest the biggest uh, casualty losses we've lost since World War II, which was 1,442 personnel. And like Ireland was 1,441. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so you're finding information like that. I'm trying to source. So if there's any of your audience around the world who will pay for the postage, can get me Earths and Sands from prominent battles, not just from since, um, since Second World War, but any time. Then um, we're creating a living museum. Earth and sand, folks, in case you didn't hear. And Rick, this am I right thinking this has brought you in contact with some fairly high-profile people yeah, on your journey? Celebrities, yeah, especially Instagram. Yeah, so, I mean... Am, it, I, am I the biggest one? So you're, you're the biggest one on Instagram, Chris, yeah, and Facebook, to be fair. But, yeah, the Damien, uh, the author Damien Lewis... 
Yeah. He's uh, put me out a, a few times and he's got a couple of the poppies. He sent me a signed book. Uh, Chris Ryan uh, on Instagram. Uh, Foxy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jason Fox. Um, he's got one. Aldo. Ken, obviously. Yeah. I mean, the Marines are a small community, hasn't it, from that period of time. Uh, Will Carlin, the former England rugby captain as well. He's just reposted me night before last, actually. I mean, so it's slowly... Gaining it, it, what it, you know yourself, Chris. You get a bit of celebrity sport, like like say with Robbie Williams and stuff. It just helps push what you do, or it just gives you a bit of authenticity. Now, I'm just trying to, in my own way, honor those who've sacrificed their all, but also you're creating a keepsake and a gift. I mean, if you think when we pass, how much stuff gets passed on not much sentimental wise no, no. object, but we want to create memories. So I believe, and I've had, you know, this sent to me, the messages of, of um, which come through um, are unbelievable. And I mean, you know, I've, I've, I did one for, um, well, you had a guest on from Mount, Mount Longdon. Um, I've just done a, a, a poppy for the um, um, sister of one of the guys killed on there. I did a poppy for one of the guys' uh, son, who Corporal Ian, Ian, Ian Spencer, who was killed on uh, two sisters, you know, with four or five, um, as, as loads as, as, as from guys who corporals who, who died on my tour. I've actually got the uh, from Sangin and, and those who were killed there. I've done poppies for their families, you know, of my colleagues. So I haven't got much of that earth left, but all the others. We're just building information and education, and, and I just think, yeah, it's I'm learning as well because I don't really know much about the British Army. I was never in the army, you know. I, I yes. regiments that, but yeah, you mm. learn. Mm. Rick, yeah. listen, I, I'm going to stop us there. Not, not, not that I, that I know me and you oh, can no, chat all, all day. I just don't want people going, oh bloody hell, that's three hours. That I ain't watching that, right? No, I know, mate. Yeah. Because I want. I want people, I think we've covered some really valuable stuff. We're yeah. talking on this podcast, mate. We talk about the stuff. You just don't Have really... you put this out live then, or is this being pre-recorded? This is pre-recorded. I'll, right. um, I'll have to do some jiggery-pokery. Now we've lost <laughs> Andy. Andy, <laughs> I'll have to... Ch- ch- well, yeah, I mean, he was getting up and moving around and... Yeah. Yeah, half bollocking us again. All right, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and what I can also do do for you, although we we can discuss this in a minute. Um, I can put this bit out as a separate video, so it's just yeah. talking about the conflict, Poppy. Because um, hopefully, yeah, that makes sense. friends at home listening, if you can use Rick's services, if you just like to run a question by him, there's no qu- Rick won't look at any question as being silly. He will wel- welcome you all. I can tell you that because he's a lovely man. Um, I think we got a conflict coming on Saturday, mate, and we 50 year old blokes trying to recreate the Royal Marines. You might be 50. Miler. I'll stick to my 40s, but yeah, we, we are. Um, and you know, it's funny because like this one here, Craig, you know, carry. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've done that poppy for, um, for that. And that's sprinkled with the earth from, Churchill's original commandos where they trained, you know, where they were formed and raised. And we're going to recreate this nine mile speed match, which is one of the commando tests out of the four now. Instead of it being in Devon, we're going up to the spiritual home and original home of it. 
and we're going to go and do it as veterans. Some of us haven't done it for over well, myself a quarter of a decade. <laughs> and um, and uh, go and raise money, but raise awareness as well. And we're doing this. You have to challenge yourself when you're doing stuff. And Yes. And, Friend, and- friends at home, if you can bung us a fiver, we're not asking for a lot, but it'd be nice if you could give something. We're trying to raise awareness of the of veterans' mental health. We don't want any more, you know, families to lose the father or or, or, yeah. or the mother we're just trying to put a good message out because once you once you crack this you know well it's like it's like this isn't it because you know if, if i went into a pub and i seen an old boy i would naturally buy out of that mutual and respect buy him a pint mm. so instead of buying us a pint or a coffee uh, Chris will obviously put the, the link in. It would be more yeah. than appreciated because we're helping to save a life and for a virtual coffee for someone. And Definitely. you can have our stories for free. <laughs> so, friends, if you want to get hold of either Rick or Andy, all the links will be below. Um, as I said, at the very minimum, check out my Commando Coach playlist because that's just a very simple... Uh, philosophies on on just changing your paradigm on life because the universe doesn't really change it stays the same but off it's all it's how we think that that we can have an effect effect over so if the universe isn't perfect for you at the moment and it should be we just got to change our thinking a, a little bit anyway enough said massive thank you to andy shaw andy le- absolute legend rick massive thank you to you Please just stay on the line, Rick, and um, after I hit the record button off so I can thank you properly. To everyone at home, massive love to you all. Please look after yourself. Please let the past go. That's why it's called the past. Love yourself for who you are because I love you. All my crew love you. And it, life can be such a beautiful place to be when we make those tweaks. If you can like and subscribe, That's really going to help the podcast and help us get this message out. I'm out of breath. See you. Cheers. Thank you, Chris. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.